Hello all, uh, this is Chris. I'm jumping in with a couple of disclaimers for this episode. Um, one is that it was recorded over the last two or three months. So if you don't hear any mention of the election, the results, or what in fact happened today uh, before we did the recording at the, uh, at the House and the Senate, um, that's because this was recorded uh, quite a while ago. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, we're not just uh, neglecting these things on purpose. Um, the other thing I wanted you to be aware of is that there were uh, a couple of audio issues uh, that's mostly due to us learning to try to uh, work together on Zoom, uh, trying to do this uh, social distancing thing properly while still keeping the podcast going. And uh, the last little thing I wanted to mention is we have uh, new official theme music by my buddy Casey Delavecchia, and I hope you all enjoy that, which will be starting right about now. Welcome to Art Rumors with Rachel and Chris. Our guest today is Adrienne Yannick. Uh, Rachel, would you like to read her introduction? I would love to, yes. So Adrienne Yannick is an artist and educator who resides in the desert. Her computer and media arts span several decades, including pioneering work in interactive cinema and live telematic performances. She currently serves as Professor of Intermedia at Arizona State University as Affiliate Faculty and School for the Future of Innovation in Society and is a Sustainability Scientist at the Global Institute of Sustainability. And Adrian, we are so happy to have you with us and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you both. Thanks. So, Usually we just kind of jump in, you know, towards uh, where where folks come from, you know, where where you lived in in adolescence and kind of what got you into the arts and if you had any profound experiences or mentor, always knew you were going to be an artist and performer and then we kind of go from there. So are you from California originally or? No, I'm from New Jersey. I was born in East Armpit, New Jersey. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, which is, uh, and I actually came out as a lesbian before I came out as a person from New Jersey. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but no, I was, I was raised in New Jersey. I actually fully claim it now because the place where I was born was like Queen Latifah and Patti Smith were both like raised there. So I'm like feeling it's a pretty cool place now. But um, yeah, grew up, grew up, raised in New Jersey. And my uh, formative years uh, as a young person were, were in New York City. Um, so yeah, I'm from the East Coast. And in terms of uh, art making uh, or, you know, how I understood myself as an artist, I mean, really all of my early good memories are of making art. <laughs> um, and uh, all of my earliest, you know, really strong memories are 
of writing poetry and writing plays and making up songs and uh, drawing and massive, uh, like very ambitious Play-Doh formations <laughs> with, uh, with my sister. <laughs> so really, um, I I just was always making something and uh, and had a, you know had and and expressing myself. Um, from when I was a young young uh, child, I didn't necessarily identify as uh, as an artist. I didn't identify as an artist because that didn't. I was from a pretty like working class uh, background, and we didn't really know any artists. I all the artists I had read about were dead or like in an insane asylum, or you know, like I didn't get the best impression of like art as an actual thing that people did in the world. So that didn't come until later, but, um, but yeah, I was always really involved in, um, things that were creative and I love to sing. I taught myself piano. So I, I, you know, just was always doing things that, uh, and all of that brought me great joy, um, in a, in a household where there was a lot of trauma and chaos. That's great that you, it seems like you're so intuitive from the beginning and said, you know, I have a sibling, a sister who would make Play-Doh forms with. Uh, I love that. I, I, it immediately reminds me of the distinct smell of Play-Doh. <laughs> and, uh, and the taste. And the taste, yeah. <laughs> so with that, yeah, it's kind of... I, I just love talking to, to artists and art educators, you know, like about, you know, when they become creative or, or more so when they kind of find that moment within themselves, like, oh, I'm a maker or, you know, with or without that terminology associated with it. So it sounds like, you know, regardless of if there were creative folks in the home or, in, or you're going to an art museum or seeing artists work in person, you know, you found yourself regardless of that. Yeah, and I think it's really, I mean, I was always definitely making things and, uh, and drawing and um, doing all kinds of stuff. But, um, but I was really I was in bands, you know, when I was young, and it was kind of the, you know, punk scene, it was in the 80s, you know, when I was young. So, um, so, you know, the attitude was anybody could pick up an instrument and anybody, you know, could be a musician. I was at all, all a female band and, and uh, you know, just was always doing stuff, you know, like that was the ethos. Everybody was making stuff. Everybody was out on the streets. Everybody was, you know, kind of just active. Like that was the, that was the ethos. You were sure. doing this in New York at the time? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing <laughs> time to have been there you know, especially to be part of that scene. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> it was actually <laughs> funny when you don't, um, like I've been part of a number of scenes and it's really funny, like when you're in one, like you don't necessarily recognize it, like when it's happening. Uh, sometimes you get a glimpse of it, like usually toward the end, but it's just, you know, it's just you're with, you know, people and you can feel like a kind of current, you know, and, and people are, are really active and, and bouncing off one another and kind of, you know, again, it's not so conscious even. I think it's, yeah, there was a lot of energy there. Of course, another really formative aspect of um, being in the 80s in New York was also the AIDS crisis. And um, that was also something that, right. uh, again, as a queer person, um, 
someone who was involved in, you know, making video also um, that I just got really active, you know, with that, with all the things that were going on. And of course, many, many friends and uh, loved ones and people I admired were getting very sick and dying. And so that actually has had a very formative, um, also a formative, like, uh, influence on me um, throughout my life. Wow. Yeah, that must have been incredible, too. I, I watched a couple one of your uh, uh, deep dish programs today from your website. Like, I was, oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> I was really impressed with it. Like, it's so uh, prescient everything that you are all were talking about, and it just is crazy that those same messages have been repeated since then. And uh, it's it's just like only now that people are starting to like sort of seems like take it seriously or try to make you know people are out on the streets trying to to implement sort of changes in the me too movement and everything um i was really uh this must have been like incredible to be part of that scene uh not only that i i really i've always wanted to do public access tv and i just think it's so cool that you guys did that like and made something well it was really it, you know, know it was a totally different time in terms of media so because we it was really the beginning of like people having camcorders so prior to that mm. it was either really expensive so you had to join with other people if you didn't have much money or only you know gatekeepers really had access to equipment a lot of it was heavy it was more complicated camcorders like really changed so much and it was the you know really the very beginning of like people taking media into their hand for sure i mean clayton patterson shooting his street demonstration i mean there's so much early activism with the camcorders and that you know now is spun off into you know so many different directions but the whole idea of citizen journalism of you know certainly coming from public access as well very really that was all the, the concepts of the structures for those things as well, not just the technology, but the, the public access to the structures of the networks. Those were all things that like people I was active with were like dreaming up and trying to imagine. Um, of course, now we need like media zones. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit different, but yeah. Yeah, I, I read, I was just out of curiosity, I was looking up some of the people that were affiliated with those groups that you worked with and like, some impressive stuff like one of the women you worked with uh from paper tiger ended up sort of like founding uh the democracy now video channel or something like yeah sure so democracy now like i was actually a camera person on some of the first um video uh shows the first tv when they first broadcast democracy really? now wow. so they're always on radio you yeah. know they were show and then when they it was right after 911 that they um turned it to video and i was actually in town at the time even though i didn't live there and because uh, i was doing a residency with franklin Furness when 911 happened and i got grabbed to like do the set design and jump on one of the cameras so yeah and now whatever 20 years later it's known as video yeah so. yeah that's amazing i actually applied for a job with them like a couple months ago I didn't hear anything back, but that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's really so. You were like kind of on the ground floor of this this movement. That's really kind of amazing. Um, With a lot of other people, yeah. yeah. But definitely, um, yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty active, really vibrant time for sure. And New York, you know, have either of you lived in New York City? No, my goodness. 
I have so like you get this Jersey, concept but... that you're like the center of everything, you know, mm -hmm. when you're there, it's a little obnoxious, you know, and you get that <laughs> sense from people that move away from there. But when you're in there as a young person, it really it gives you this feeling that you're in the center of everything. So like it's very you get you end up feeling like or, or I felt like a lot of agency while I was there because yeah, you just feel like there's a lot happening and it's just a matter of plugging into things and 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 it feels like things can spin off like in any direction. So yeah, I guess it's like a place, especially then when, you know, there wasn't quite as much like universal access to uh, media. It was a place that like the whole world was always looking at, you know, so there's that's right. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it was more central that way. And also it was just, so, you know, it was, of course, it was affordable. Like, I mean, it was always really still hard to live. But I mean, you could pretend to, you know, pretend to be able to live there as a, right. as a, I didn't have any money, um, you know, when I moved there. So, yeah, uh, definitely very, very different now, for sure. So you, you're speaking of the, the camcorder, Adrian, and living in this, you know, like pulse of New York City in the 80s. I'm just wondering, you know, is, is that when the the first kind of spark of, of you wanting to, to be a, a media artist or having um, this excitement of having this new tool to your disposal as, as making or had it come prior to that? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question, Rachel. So um, I was in I went to college at Rutgers University, Mason Gross School of the Arts, um, Douglas College, the women's college there. And I had Martha Rosser mm -hmm. was one of my teachers and Dee Dee Halleck, who was also like really active and kind of known as the godmother of public access. And um, so before I finished my undergraduate degree, I, um, I moved to New York City and was active in this scene um, and finished my undergraduate degree. And so I like I, I think the first thing why I got into the media, like I had been um, painting, um, <laughs> which maybe you got like I was, you know, like many people, that's my uh, entrance drug, you know, so when I was at school, I was painting, mm -hmm. but I was doing a lot of experiments, too. I mean, I was. I was doing things where like I moved my studio into like the the stairwells at like the work would be like the process of it would be shown. And um, I was anyway, I was experimenting with a lot of different possibilities of like I really didn't like the white cube. I didn't I really found like I could see that when I showed my paintings that my usual friends would come into the gallery and all of a sudden they'd get really silent and they wouldn't really like know how, what to say about whatever was hung on the walls. And I could see that they were like disempowered by that experience and that really bugged me. And so I started to truly mm. think about like, oh, I don't want my art to be in a place that's disempowering for people um, like myself or, you know, like my, crazy queer like underground crew and so I started to think mm -hmm. about um, doing things out on the street and I started to make um, puppet shows so I had a a, col a collaborator um, who I made these puppet shows with and we took them out into the city square in New Brunswick which is the city we lived in and we were the challenge was to try to make them so kids would really like them but the mothers who were with the kids would also or the nannies or whatever would also really get something out of it so they were very symbolic they were very weird puppets now that i think about it but what happened <laughs> 
grabbed a camera to be able to document the puppet shows because we made all of our own sets and like we had this whole foldable set and all these puppets and we you know and I thought oh I need to document this and so that's why I took the video course was just so I could get access to the cameras to the technology so that I could document but as soon as I found video I like I just immediately was like wow this could be television and to me this was very naive but I really felt like oh here's a situation where people can just turn the channel off like if they don't like it or turn it to something else like here I can put my art in and people can feel like empowered again that feels very naive to me to say now because of course I the way that media is utilized and the structures and networks that um, boost it up and the yeah I like the way that you speak of, of painting and the white cube setting because that's something I myself have struggled with or when I was doing you know rectilinear paintings the white cube it seems like a sort of static mm. um, impermanent experience but the second that you know there is more accessibility or more interaction maybe is a better word with the community or more accessible like you said you know maybe some of your your peers and people walking by didn't feel comfortable going in that white cube setting or maybe it costs to get any you know, of all those variables so I, I really love what it does with media when you can go and have have more folks be participant you know whether it's by choice or, or passers-by and it seems like that and and just witnessing you and, and, and your work um, at Grand Street, and then you know, seeing every all the lovely videos of, of past decades' work on your website that that you enjoy that that co that connectedness and that interconnection of working with folks on the pieces or having that you know human interaction and conversation. It really goes beyond seeing the painting or whatever said art piece is. You know, that is the piece. Like having your your stairwell um studio seems like that was kind of the beginning of a much bigger bundlings of of work i love that yeah i really i like the life i like liveness um i like that, that energy um most of the work is that i make it has that live component and that that's really where it lives in a way and then yes there's documentation it exists in other ways um, but the live aspect of it is really where where people are together is often where i really feel like um things can shift and things can transform um so it's so hard to not think of media today and the way that it's being utilized to manipulate people <laughs> the algorithms and things and how that's affected your your psyche and, and your approach to teaching and, and making and and these these tumultuous times can you speak a, a little bit on your feelings sure. of that i'm sure you have a lot of feelings about that but i'll let you say it <laughs> yeah well i do and and really you know and you observed um that i shift my practice really away from centering it on computer and media uh so I was doing that work for 30 years and uh, about five or six years ago, I started to just really feel like, oh, I think, you know, I think I, I need to open myself up to something else um, because I do feel like there's a way that the, the, 
Well, it's not that I'm not interested in the algorithms. It's not that I'm not interested in those things, but I, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a tremendous, like that aspect of hegemony. Um, it's very hard now to, um, to, to even imagine that you can kind of break through into that space and make it something else other than what it is, what it's programmed to be, you know? Right. Yeah. Early, like, and I don't want to, get overly nostalgic but like we were thinking of what is what are these and that that went all the way through into the 2000s while I was at UCSD we were thinking of what are the structures for maximum community building for maximum public participation for you know they weren't it really wasn't about um about making money off this stuff and it's really taken a big yeah. change you know, it's had a massive change uh, all of the, a lot of the early experiments, they're not even possible anymore because the corporate, the intense corporate control of the networks has clamped down on things that are specifically create, you know, that are, that were meant and devised to support people's creativity. And that's right. like either because of security or because of monetizing things, it's really been, you know, I wouldn't say shut down, obviously. Everybody's gonna find a way to be creative if they wanna be creative. So I definitely, in no way, mm -hmm. think it shuts things down. In fact, there's tremendous flowering. I love what people are doing on TikTok. I mean, it's all very exciting, but I just was like, this is not really space for me anymore um, to to feel like I'm- I think you cut out there for a minute. Oh no. Sorry. <laughs> Can you repeat what you just said? Sure, I, I, I think- <laughs> I am not so interested in hearing my voice in that space. I don't, I don't feel like my voice resonates in that space um, and those spaces in a way. And so I've carved out like now a different set of ways that I'm, I'm using media, but more as a tool to support the live performances. Um, so, yeah, so I've kind yeah. of, backed away now it's funny here we are on zoom yeah. <laughs> i know <laughs> trying to you know work on bringing my eco tarot into this environment and so here we are back in telematic performance which is essentially you know what what i spent many years working with so so there's some some fateful thing going on there i'm sure yeah <laughs> do you think when i was watching your old video i felt this sort of like um it was like the people involved had this sort of like exciting sort of like optimism because it was like a new media and you can almost feel it that people felt like free like they could do whatever they want do you mm. think part of what you think is, has happened aside from the corporate thing is that it's just become sort of like it, it has its own dogma now you know it, it has it's like a, a way that things are supposed to be done or... yeah well I mean, this is, and this is always the case. So the thing is you always, whenever you're, whenever I've worked with technology, I've always thought about like, how do I make it work for me instead of to do the things that it wants to do? And that's the challenge as an artist working with, you know, really any tool, even paintbrushes, yeah. you know, how do I make it do what I want to do? I mean, but with um, something like Facebook, let's say, mm -hmm. I, when I first saw it in the early 2000s, when it came out and it was just in universities, my I had this young assistant who was an undergraduate and he would bring me all the cool things that were happening. And, and uh, he was on my little research team. His name was Andrew Collins. And 
he showed it to me and I just, I remember thinking like, yeah, I don't like the way it fr that frames like things. I don't really like the way that that's framing. I'm gonna, and really mm -hmm. saying to myself, I'm gonna give that a pass. Like, cause at that time there was a number of these things and I was thinking like, oh, I can just duck under this wave and wait for the next thing. <laughs> so oh, this God. is why I've never signed up. I've never signed up for a Facebook. I am on Instagram now and I know they're owned by Facebook, but that was like a big concession. <laughs> finding out about it now you know I'm learning but of course that's how we connected so it's a nice thing in some ways uh but I'm learning like all my initial ideas of how to use it they wouldn't work like so it's a very I do feel like um I don't know I'm still learning like how to really use it as a creative tool and I think the in, in some ways there's framings that do make it um more possible for i mean and they there's studies now for for instance you know white supremacists to you know uh, proliferate or you know or just mm -hmm. even to get your brand going or what that there's certain things that they're that are easier and that they're better at and the other things really hacking into them i mean i i think i know it's possible because i believe in the human creative spirit but it's not something i've been able to like really get into um yeah and and like i said like i kind of decided that's not where i wanted to put my energy in terms of like yeah freedom i mean in yeah it's really different it's really different it's really different than it was you know but i don't want to get nostalgic because there's so many possibilities <laughs> now with, like, i feel like i really like what young people are doing so i don't in any way want it to be like and I think the organizing that's going on also, you know, is really is, of course, like can be exciting. And so. I miss MySpace. Like <laughs> MySpace was so fun. It was so like customizable. You could put like, you know, you could put your own like HTML. I was actually trying to learn how to code so I could customize my MySpace like all the people. That that's right. I need to bring that back. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about is those entrance points that yeah. there were. And then now because of security issues or whatever, you know, various reasons, they've really gotten clamped down and you don't have those places that you can like really um, in, in the main, in the main mainstream pieces. Of course, people are coming up with other things. And I think I hear about new things all the time. I'm really interested what people are doing with discord or i mean there you know there's all kinds of possibilities exactly that the human spirit is so beautiful so yeah i'm just now getting into like discord it, it's pretty cool so far and you can do a lot on there and it doesn't feel uh you, do, you don't feel that grip of the the government or the corporations on it yet <laughs> <laughs> But um, okay, so uh, on that no you've oh, mentioned Eco Tarot. You've mentioned Eco Tarot briefly al already, Adrian. But if I may, I'd like to read your artist statement on that project because I think it's really beautiful, and we can uh, talk about how your street performances have now become virtual readings and maybe even Zoom readings for our our climate future. So, the the artist statement for Eco Tarot is. Quote, may we all awaken to the understanding that we walk the same earth, breathe the same air, drink from the same finite water source, and affect each other's spirit. And I think that that is such a, a poetic and, and lovely way to, to state that truism. And um, how has that process 
taken itself and manifested in these times. So, um, if it has, you, um, yeah, well, just the I mean, practice itself of eco tarot, you know, if you've been doing it or if you've been working on other things or, you know, letting your creative mind work in other ways. Well, actually, yeah. So I have been trying, so I have been working, I, I, with the eco tarot project, I was of course out on the street in that project. Mm -hmm. Uh, very much, uh, uh, you know, just going out like thoroughfares, um, daily traffic situations and setting my little situation up, my little table and chairs and my little sandwich board sign. And then people would line up, you know, for readings. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so I have been doing that and done almost a thousand readings when I last wow. counted. Um, so, and right before um, the pandemic uh, shutdown, um, things were, you know, taking off in new directions. Um, but of course, uh, now not being able to go out in public, it's taken a shift. And at first, I wasn't sure um, if I was going to keep doing it. Uh, I was hesitant mm -hmm. to take it online. Uh, but I realized a few things. One is that I feel that that the pandemic is actually a um, and uh, how we treat each other. I don't see it as a separate thing. I see it as connected um, to what's going on with the overall uh, way that we exist as humans in relationship to um, our planet and, and how we treat other beings. I also, the Eco Tarot has uh, racial justice, environmental justice infused through it. And so it feels really in alignment with um, things that are, that people are talking about now. And then also I realized that there's even more uncertainty, you know, that basically the Tarot as a tool for people to help navigate uncertainty uh, now, and now that we're all really, uh, you know, faced with the reality of all the uncertainty that we live within. Mm. We always live within it, but now we really know it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it feels like uh, there's more of a need for it than ever. And so what I've been doing is working with uh, three apprentices that I've been training. And then we're, oh. we're trying to identify like a two or three week or month long time period that we just offer free readings uh, and we'll be announcing that like on Instagram and that will probably happen next month. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, but it's, I've been training the apprentices and um, yeah, so that's how the practice is evolving right now. I feel like I'm interested in seeing how, like I've done some tests and I feel like it's mm -hmm. still really powerful and there's some really good things about doing it um, online. Uh, but it's also who's attracted to it. It was nice how random it was in the public situation, but we'll, you know, we'll just oh, yeah. be able to report back, back and uh, keep doing it. So yeah, it feels, it feels important. The piece of that project that's really beautiful to me is the way that it helps people kind of connect what's going on in the larger world with like their own lives. And that feels really important. Mm. Like it's not this abstract thing, climate change, but it's like, how does, all that's going on in the world. And of course, we've 
you know, extend the readings to embrace the pandemic, embrace the um, racial justice struggles that are going on and, you know, more specifically. So yeah, that's moving along. I'm also, um, I don't know, cause I don't necessarily have it on my bio, but I also work as a death doula. And so that work has really been coming forward. Wow. Have um, people I work with, but also I've been working a lot with uh, grief and with this group called um, the Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster. And we just created a grief toolkit in the form of a deck, but also it'll be an online repository of artist works, but also grief prompts. And so that's and that looks like that might even turn into like an app of sorts or something. So that project is, you know, that's really just in concert with um, and you know, with that work that I've been doing. And that work connects to what I was saying of the, my formative years, like really being engaged with uh, with a lot of death around the AIDS crisis. So I've carried that mm -hmm. with me in my life. And then I recently got certified to do that work. I was doing the work already, but it's, mm -hmm. it seemed weird to offer it to people outside of family and loved ones without some certification. <laughs> I did get a certification for it. And so now I'm able to offer that to people in, in my community. Well, pardon me my ignorance, but what, what is it? A death doula? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm really glad you asked because not everybody knows. So do you know what a doula is? What a birth doula is? No. Oh, okay. So so a doula is, uh, is a word that comes from a Greek and is known as like a, basically is the translation for a female servant. Um, it's really like a, in a family, it would be the person who is like the caretaker or the handmaid to, you know, birth and then to death. So it's a, it's a natural role that in many cultures would just be fulfilled by like another family person. Um, a doula, a birth doula, it's been known, you know, now there's been a birth doula movement here in the States and it's been throughout Europe and all over for decades now, but that's essentially someone who is the non-medical person who attends to like everything else that has to do with birth that isn't the, the specific medical aspects of it. So you might, a doula would work with the mother or the family. We lost you again. Sorry, Adrian. You, uh, the last words I heard were the it mother ended up and the family. family. Yeah. Oh, okay. So works with the family or the woman uh, giving birth to support um, them as they move through this event and then beyond it to support them. And so... Um, the death doula is essentially someone on the other side of that, uh, uh, you know, bookend of life. Um, someone who recognizes that death is uh, not just a medical event, but is a sacred event, is a community event, is an emotional event. And essentially, it's someone who's working with both the person that's dying and or their family, um, to come up with a kind of uh, death plan if that's possible. Also, you hold vigil with the person. One of our principles is no one dies alone. And then also you mm -hmm. might work with them, the family to have a home funeral or to work with their grief afterwards. So it's really everything acknowledging death as a sacred event and everything that's non-medical that you're really supporting in that event. And so, um, 
for me, it's been a really, it's a very, been a very beautiful, meaningful, you know, process. And, uh, and I'm really honored to be able to, you know, engage with people around it. Um, so. That's, that's so powerful. I, I really respect that, um, that endeavor, Adrian, as a death doula and working with, with people with grief and with ending the ending of life and, and that we don't, you know, leave this planet alone. That, that makes me think of my, my current employer position. I, I'm actually working at a senior living community as an art specialist. And so I've been an essential worker this whole time and, and COVID and been very lucky to, to have that opportunity. But I, I've seen a lot of folks and friends pass and, um, you know, not even if I'm not there during that exact moment of someone dying, but the, you know, the, the natural physical and cognitive decline of people and being there up until the leading day for family and for themselves and the emotional toll it takes on everyone and myself included. And it, it's just, it's very uh, much an honor for me to be there for, for them. So I, I really love your, your idea with this. I think it's going to bring a lot of comfort to people. I think it's going to be really important. It, it's always important and it has always been, but I don't think people talk about grief or about life and death and, you know, these real life situations as much as one should. So very much kudos a, to you for that. But there's a lot of fear around it. And so that's another thing that we do just in our communities is to make, is to really introduce death as a natural thing to be able to talk about, to be able to discuss, to really death as a teacher, mm -hmm. you know, to really bring it in so yeah. people can more, just more comfortable about it. And again, acknowledge it's like it as a really sacred time, not one to be, you know, feared or shunned or, or um, I, I, what I want to say as yeah. well is that it's very clear to me that death can either bring um, families and communities together, or it can also split them apart. And so part of something that, you know, the death doula holds is this like potential. I mean, you can't make that happen, but you hold that potential mm -hmm. for and uh, like an understanding of the way that that can really bring people together. Um, and that, and that it, you know, we don't get to choose that. I mean, you can come up with a death plan. It's, un it's all usually unlikely that that's going to be carried out. But if you don't come up with one, it's for sure not going to be carried out. So that's part of the exactly. activity, imagining those things and, and knowing that, you know, that also giving agency or having, having voice, making a space for that voice of the person who's, um, you know, who's departing, you know, to really, to really be able to say what they want and, and see if you can support that. You know, so have you have you been practicing? I mean, have you actually gone through the process with people since you? Yeah, been, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's that like? Because I know um, I I talked to Rachel about the job that she's doing a lot. I did it with her for a little while, a couple years ago, um, and it was difficult for me to like. It's like you go. I don't know how I described it. It's like going to a kindergarten where you just, one of your students just dies every once in a while, you know? Mm, like, mm. And so for me, I, I was having a hard time dealing with it. And Rachel, I know, mm. uh, has to deal with it on a daily basis for years now. And um, 
I, I feel like it affects her. I know it affected me. Has it affected you in a positive or negative way? Or like... Well, I mean, I think it's really an interesting thing. Like, like I've always, since I had that experience with um, like many young people my age, like really getting sick and dying when I was very young, yeah. I've had just an understanding that death is part of life. Like it's not an anomaly. It's And then also because I live in the desert, you really are very close to death here in a way. Like it's not, you know, not just physically because you're very aware, like, oh, I could die because I have been lost and been very afraid that I was going to die. <laughs> so oh, really see like the intensity, and, you know, usually when you hike, you come upon bones. Like it, there's just a closeness to death. Mm. There's you know, all the, all the, um, uh, the, the crows and the ravens and the vultures, like the carrion, you know, animals like feeding off death. There's a, just a different relationship to death and it is part of life it's part of that cycle and so I think I've gotten you know I'm not I wouldn't say I'm like I'm not happy about it but it's something that I'm like I've integrated as like this is part of life and it's part of a good life it's not it's not this it's not something where you've had a good life and then there's this horrible thing that happened it's like no that's all you know it's really all part of what makes for a life like so how people die and how they're mourned, you know, that that's all like really, you know, part of us living as humans. And so I say, I was just like really affected by that. I think that as an artist, like I have um, understood the importance of ritual in all of this. And so that I bring a lot of understanding and creativity, you know, really around that. And I think that there's a lot of, um, comfort and uh transformation and all kinds of other things i could talk about that able that ritual enables not in a like not in a corny way i mean you have to like think about it for each person and that's the thing about grief mm -hmm. and death they're so unique to each person it isn't a regular thing i think it's a really challenging time now but also a time of like reinvention where we have to think about because we're not able to gather around a body you know we can't attend mm -hmm. to it in the same way it's really been like thrown up in the air by covid in so many ways so that's a i mean that's still very like i have a lot of um attention for that right now is understanding like how can grieving happen in in the absence of the body in the absence of community in the absence of you know so many other things that how can we remake right. those or make other things that can take us through that process of of uh, grief and transformation that we need um so yeah there's a there's a lot there chris yeah wow. <laughs> so much there <laughs> There's so much there. Well, I'm very much looking forward to that that process and to see how you know, when you were just stating that, I was thinking, wow, you know, something that could be a, a good, you know, transformative moment and this pandemic is having to be inventive and re remake the rubric for yeah, how how does one have a funeral? How does one grieve an individual when, you know, one is in isolation you can't see the body and yeah so much so much at play there but perhaps it could bring a lot of um i don't know new 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 growth experiences in ways that we didn't know could you know be enveloped during these times well i think i think something else that's going on and i noticed this with my ecoterra work is that a lot of people have what we call ecological grief 
that they're, you know, in another word for it is the solastalgia. You might have heard that, but this like this collective grief of, you know, seeing speed, knowing that species are dying, know that we're losing ice, knowing about the loss, right? And like carrying that kind of grief with us as a as a culture, right? And then now we have this pandemic and it's, you know, sadly, it's 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 really hurting our country so badly and uh, needlessly, I would say. And, um, and so that's a whole collective grief as well as you don't have just one family isolated grieving, you have, you know, a whole culture um, that is going through this process. And so that is going to shift some of the terms of grief and understandings of it. And maybe some new things will, you know, I'm, I, I think some new things will emerge as well as like state violence, the grief, you know, you see people organizing mm -hmm. uh, and also enraged, you know, uh, so rage is another part of grief. So grief isn't just sadness. It's so many complicated emotions. And so I think we're, you know, we're beginning to understand more of that as we do that work collectively as well. Um, is there anything that we didn't hit on that um, you'd like to discuss? Uh... Oh my God. Like, yeah, I mean, we, I like how we went <laughs> right up to what I'm doing now. Um, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I've been, um, so yeah, it's been really a very, um, beautiful and challenging time making this turn. Um, this turn, like really I had 30 years like, of making this work that people knew me for and, uh, and that, you know, whatever curators knew me, that's what I was, you know, understood and, people writing about, et cetera. And just to make this really big shift to put my uh, body on the line, to work in this different way, um, to center myself in the desert and these other things. And um, and I did that with the sense of like, well, maybe I have another 50 years in me and I, and I feel called to do this. And, you know, I shouldn't not say it's been really a very beautiful, um, powerful, like creative, very free time for me. I've been really going where I feel like I need to. So I have an EP of my little songs I've put out. I have all this data humanization work I've done. I have, you know, the Dry Lab 2023 experiment. So, uh, and then this, you know, grief project. So I feel really, I, I guess I just want to also encourage you and any of the other artists listening to, you know, really follow your path too. Um, I mean, I know I'm privileged to be able to say that because I had this whole career and I wasn't like trying to, you know, make it, but it's been, yeah, it's been really scary to like begin again and start over and really feel like I don't even know how to speak about this work. I don't know what's at stake in it yet. I don't, you know, and, and at the same time to be carrying that space of being a professor and needing to know, so this, you know, but it's been, um, I'm really happy that I made the, that I made the shift that I've like, I've followed that and it all feels really right. And it's, um, we'll see again, I feel like I'm following it like right back in a way to a circle of like, here we are on zoom and, and I'm, I'm working with <laughs> more telematic performance. So I guess I can't get away from it, but yeah, yeah I just, I guess I want to encourage people to also just not, like, I feel like the earth and the world is calling us to do different things now. And it feels like, uh, I know I'm sure a lot of artists, I know a lot of my students and, and friends are, you know, struggling with like, well, is this relevant? And I just really feel like it's not right. a business time and to really, you know, just not, just not really 
try to listen to what's being called of you and uh, and not go in with preconceived notions about what that can be. Because I do feel like everything will circle around. Like if you follow, if you stay on your path, that because you're listening and it, this is this historical moment that you're entering into, that new forms, you know, you'll end up working with other people to create new forms that need to emerge. So anyway, I, just, I guess I just want to encourage that in any of your listeners. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know there's always like with, with branding yourself or like focusing or, you know, there's like lots of ideas about like, oh, you need to be doing this to get your career going. And um, and I just really feel like it's this, it's this other time right now that we're being asked to be in community. We're being asked to really interrogate ourselves differently. We're being asked to like understand different things about what, what artists are, what it means to be an artist, what we can offer as artists in the world. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly, Adrian. I think that's a, a wonderful stopping point for us too. You've inspired me. Yeah. Same here. Yes. A last thing, I guess, oh, that, that really makes me feel good. I'm starting my video. So the last thing I just want to show you is this <laughs> versus Hall. So there's um, some indigenous elders who have said that this time is either, it can be either a portal or a hole. And, you know, that's really up to us and how we approach things. So uh, I put it big on my wall so I could remember to not yeah. fall into the hole. Yeah. That's great. Can I? Do you mind if I take a yeah. screen cap of this right now? Okay. I think that is a great, um, yeah, great thing to have as a daily reminder and inspiration. Yeah. Is it a portal or is it a hole? Yeah. And we, we are the deciders of that. Every day we have that choice in one respect or another. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's it's so good to see you. I, I'd love to reconnect in person with you and uh, have coffee and, and you know have a more elongated conversation in the future, and we can do that and see how these these new projects you know have really come to fruition. So, yeah, now you. I wish we had two hours. I'm bummed I didn't see that. Yeah, congratulations to you both for doing this. I hope you're, you know, you're having fun, you're learning things, and it's definitely a nice service, you know, for the community. So it's nice. Yeah, it's great you're doing it. Thank you. So the next section you're going to hear is uh, the second part of the interview which we did uh, almost, uh, it was over a month later. Um, and we just wanted to give you all a chance to see and hear what uh, Adrian was talking about with the uh, Ecotero project. So we had Adrian do a reading for Rachel, and that's coming up right now. Welcome back to Art Rumors. This one's a two-parter with Adrian Yannick, and today she's going to do a climate future reading for me from her Ecotero deck. And this deck represents contemporary actors, values, and symbols from our climate drama. And I noticed on your website, Adrian, it's also in dedication to your mom, Carol Jane Marie Yannick, and also known as Zyla. So thank you again for your time, Adrian, and I'm all yours when you're ready. Great, great. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Chris. So I'm really happy to be back and especially um, to be able to offer you a reading 
Uh, I have been doing these readings since 2017 and I've done almost a thousand of them at this point. Most of them were done in public spaces, but uh, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast episode, this fall we started to um, bring them to the online space. And so, um, so I'm really happy to give you a reading online. And, uh, and I have a little setup here for those of you who are just listening. I have my little Mesa out and um, yeah, I guess I'll try to describe some of the things I'm doing or Rachel will as well, but um, I'm gonna just take you through a reading and we'll definitely you know, talk about the cards instead of just looking at them as well um, as we go um, through it. So, so now I heard you, Rachel, say that you've had a tarot card reading before, maybe one or two in your life. Uh, is that true? Handful, probably no more than 10. Okay. So it's definitely not necessary. Actually, most of the, many of the people that um, sit down for readings haven't had uh, tarot readings. And I just like to make sure though, that people know that this is not a usual tarot reading. I'm not going to tell you your love life. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you about your fame and fortune. I'm reading your climate future. And what that means is that I'm going to tell you about your future as it relates to all the changes going on in our larger natural environment. So, um, so you're still. Yes, I am. <laughs> and then, uh, as you know, because you were a, uh, a grad student while I was working on the cards, I, in order to do the readings, I actually made this deck of cards uh, with the consult of Molly Cohen of World. Um, who helped, they're all handmade papers, the agave paper, and I'm um, showing a dark side, uh, the, the back side of the card, and then the front sides of the card are um, recycled cotton and linen. And then uh, they actually are all uh, screen prints, but with uh, hand-painted natural pigments. So I ground up the pigments and then uh, mixed them with gum Arabic and painted them on. So the deck itself is very alive. And as I, as I mentioned, I've done almost a thousand reads with it. And so that makes it what we call a well-tuned deck. Uh, so the first thing I always have people reading is shuffle the cards. But uh, since I can't hand them to you uh, right now, what I have to have you do is direct me and how to shuffle them. And then I will shuffle them whatever way you want and for as long as you want. Um, so you'll tell me when you will shuffling. But once you tell me how to shuffle, shuffling, and then if you can put yourself in the frame of mind where you're thinking about your relationship to the planet, your relationship to the earth, any thoughts or feelings that you have about the shifts and changes that are going on um, in the natural world uh, right now, just kind of let them come up. It doesn't have to be rational thought, just anything that comes up, sort of put yourself in that frame of mind, okay? And do you have a way that you shuffle a deck or, um, or do you have a way that you feel called to tell me to shuffle today? Uh, I usually like to shuffle them and do the little bridge underneath. That's just what I do. Okay. We can do that. And uh, so I'm going to, you can be thinking about those things and then just let me know when you want me to stop shuffling.
Okay, I feel good with three. It feels right. Okay, great. So um, today I'm going to give you a two-card reading, um, uh, Ecotoro future climate uh, climate future reading. So if you can now just tell me where you want me to um, divide the the deck of cards. Um, it, it doesn't have to be evenly divided. We're just gonna divide it into two parts. So where my thumb is where it's gonna be divided. Okay, right there. Yeah. Here? Mm -hmm. And I like to do just a little blessing. This is some sustainably sourced um, Palo Santo wood. And just so I can, yeah, just do a little blessing of the cards and then of you and then me and then our, our little space that we have together. And so um, before we start, uh, I'd like you to know first of all that if you have any questions, you see anything in the cards that you want to talk about, they remind you of something, anything at all, it doesn't interrupt me for you to just jump in. So please, it's, it's more interesting that way. Okay. And then my approach to the tarot is really as uh, system for shuffling our thoughts around for getting us outside of our usual patterns and grooves of thought. And so I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. Okay. Um, so this first card in the Ecotoro two card uh, reading, it represents what's happened in the arc of your lifetime as it relates to climate change, as it relates to all the things that are unfolding. And when I talk about climate change, it also does embrace the pandemic, embrace um, environmental justice, all of those things are folded into it. So this first card, it may be something that you can influence, it may impact you directly. It's really more the picture of what's happening in the larger global sphere during the arc of your lifetime as it relates to climate change, okay? And for this card, I need a card that's called a minor arcana, it's a type tarot card uh, to come up. So if a court card or a major arcana card come up, I'm gonna set them down below that card. If we have time, we can talk about them because they become background cards. But for this card, I need a minor arcana card. So, oh, wait, I got two cards there, okay. So the first um, card is a court card. It's La Puerta del Fuego, and it was reversed. So that becomes a uh, background card because that's a card. But yeah, this card uh, that comes up is the nine of water. Hmm. And so this is a minor arcana card. Oh, sorry. Sorry about the little beep. I'm going to quit out of program that's made up. So the nine of water card, the water cards, 
in Ecoturo deck, they have everything to do with water. So um, when they come up, depending on what number it is, depending on what position they come up in, they have to do with floods or droughts, the sea levels rise, the aquifers underneath us, the groundwater, uh, water quality, so water pollution, um, water management systems, all of those things related to water come up in the water cards. But the water cards are also related to the cup cards in the standard tarot. And those cards are often uh, associated with emotions and uh, with our emotional life, with our emotional landscape, um, with feelings, with love relationships sometimes. So this card came up right side up. And I'll explain what that means in a moment. But the nine of water in the Ecoturo deck is actually the nine card is about like it are cards that have to do with a, a kind of almost completion of an arc on an earthly plane. So if you think of the cards from zero to 10, there's this arc of completion and the nines are on the earthly plane. The tens are in the transcendent completion, but the nines are on that earthly plane. And this, the nine cards, in the eco actually have to do um, this issue of private of privatization of and you may know about this happening that there's increased privatization of water um, resources all around the world um, but it's uh, and 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 it's happening you know where a private company will come in to develop a water system, but then instead of it being a public utility, then you're often paying water rates, you know, to a private resource. Um, in the United States, it comes about, it's actually hedge funds are buying up uh, public utilities in certain ways. And the way that they're doing that is that they're saying, your infrastructure is for your water is decrepit. And it's going to take, you know, millions and perhaps a billion dollars in localities, you know, like Flint, like other places that you hear about, Newark, uh, to redo that infrastructure. And so we can come in and do that, but that's no longer a public utility. You're then paying to a for-profit company. And this is increasingly happening. And so this card in the Ecotro is really about this issue of privatization and the right side up card means that it's, you know, it's already kind of happening. It's already um, under starting to under uh, undergo. This can be understood in terms of larger issue of the commons of places of the com of things that we understood to be in common becoming privatized. Um, and so with this card in terms of that happening, again, like we think about like, well, what happens when there's a public resource? Well, the public is at the center of um, understanding how that's managed. There's elected officials that are responsible to that, to the public for managing that resource, that we understand that everybody has access to it in an equal way because it's a basic human right. And as we have, as water becomes more and more of an issue, which we know it will be, these privatization of it mean that the public is not really as involved in um, the discussions about who has access, equal access, um, issues around environmental um, uh, justice in terms of who has access to clean water and, uh, and who doesn't. So this card here, again, this is the larger uh, environment, um, what's gonna be happening, increased privatization. The other thing that I'll just- 
all gloomy, like ghostly, like I don't, I'm, I'm getting like a very emotional, like evocative response to it, which I think the way that it, it's like, um, yeah, like a, a ghost humanoid, like rooted, but pulling um, figure that I really see and, and feel um, kind of entranced by. And as you're giving all this information to me, you know, it's making me anxious about the, um, the privatization and the fruition that's already coming to light from these resources that you know, you've, you've spoken about. So yeah, I think I've been holding my breath a little bit while you've been speaking about well, it. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, what Rachel's mentioning is that the image is of a river that has many tributaries and, but it is very, it looks very ghostly because of the way that the watercolor works out and, and uh, yeah, and there's a very light, like a light blue um, tone to it for those in, in the uh, listening audience. Um, and you can go online uh, at Ecotoro is my Instagram and you can see some of the pictures of the cards and things as well. So, um, and thanks for sharing how it made you feel as well. What we can see is, is people, is this idea of people having a lot of feelings about this as well. Like you have this nine card and it is, about all feelings and very strong feelings. And so that's, it's a place of, you could say possible, you know, definitely possible conflict. I mean, as we know, water is a basic resource. Water is life. It's a basis of what we need to live. And so it is concerning um, the ex extent to which uh, we may be losing like a kind of public consciousness around um, control and access so, so this is again in the larger world, um, what's unfolding, I cannot tell you don't already know, sorry I provoked your anxiety, I genuinely am. The readings, one of the things in the two card reading though is that we just talked about that in the larger world and this next card is saying, okay, given that that's unfolding, this next card is so, what for Rachel is a role for you as you know in in the world in relationship to things both this and other things that are unfolding what are some values that you can foster what's a helper card to help you navigate you know through this and so that's what this next card is and so for this card now i need a major arcana or a court card to come up okay and if a minor arcana card comes up it goes down here and depending on if we have time and interest i don't know how much uh, interest your people would have, we could probably cut it off, but um, we'll, I'll talk about the background card as well. Um, so, um, so this first card is a the Ace of Air, and uh, and that becomes a background card because that's a minor arcana card. And we have another water card, um, the Four of Water. Um, so uh, that becomes a background card. These are interesting cards. They also have to do with, they can tell you more about your card. Um, so, ah, beautiful. So this is La Guerrera del Viento, the warrior of air, uh, the warrior of the wind. <laughs> and uh, this is a pretty cool card. Um, it's a court card. Um, and these cards can represent a part of you um, or you. They can also represent sometimes depending on where they exist in the reading uh, of people that have influence over you. But because in this two card reading, this is really a card for you. 
this is a, a card that's really um, saying something about you and your uh, position. And also in terms of this, you know, what's going on in the larger world, um, as we talked about with privatization and also people having strong feelings about the privatization. Mm -hmm. So the air cards are cards that in the EcoTarot deck that have to do with the shift from fossil fuels to renewables. So from uh, extractive technologies and ways of thinking to regenerative uh, technologies and ways of thinking. The air cards also have to do with air quality. So whether or not we can breathe, you know, the pollution, the air quality, uh, another important commons, you know, that we don't often think about um, in this country unless we live in a place that is uh, compromised um, with air quality, which many of our um, black and brown um, brothers and sisters do. And then uh, also I've taken this because the air card, because the pandemic is also airborne and it affects respiratory systems in, in addition to other things. This is where the pandemic is showing up in these air cards. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the air cards relate to the swords and those cards have to do with both the intellect, but also with social dynamics. So how we treat one another, what are the power dynamics is a good way to put it. So power dynamics. Um, and so this is, and Las Carreras are the warriors. Uh, it's a warrior spirit. So it doesn't mean you're gonna go out and join the army. It doesn't mean that, uh, yeah, it doesn't mean that. Um, it, you can see that in part, she's not actually, uh, what's pictured is a silhouette of a very strong stance of a, a woman's silhouette with some, uh, with a series of windmills in the background. And when these cards are reversed, you also see that they become smokestacks. Um, but this card is right side up. And I'll explain what that means in terms of La Guerrera del Viento. But La Guerrera del Viento is a card that is about someone who's really standing firm, who knows their values, who is a war, it's a warrior spirit. It's someone who understands that, that fighting and conflict are necessary at times and that they're not to be, you know, that they're not afraid of those things as evolutionary processes, you know, and that resistance you know, is also not just, again, in relationship to this uh, issue of the larger privatization going on, that resistance, working with others, organizing resistance um, and standing ground, uh, you know, around, no, this is a common, this is a common uh, commons. This is something that is for everyone that these kind of values, you know, are really uh, at the center of that resistance. This is a beautiful card, um, right side up. It, and well, the other thing I want to say is that in relationship to this issue of social dynamics, it's someone who, yeah, understands how to work with conflict in a group. Uh, so it's someone who understands and uh, it's not, not, it's not necessarily someone who's always like always fighting, but it's someone who understands that um, it's not go along, get along. It's like there's there's things that need to be brought up and that aren't, isn't, again, isn't afraid of that, isn't, isn't afraid to stand in that position, isn't afraid to take it on that position and be in that space. It could be an advocate as well, like advocating, you know, for, for someone or, or people or one's, one's values or what you believe in. Um, those things are very important. So it, it's also that issue of advocacy.
policy is another way that this could be thought of. So, so um, this card's right side up, Rachel. What that means is that this is actually uh, a position that you can inhabit now and that you do inhabit now, whether or not you really know it, whether you're pulling from it, whether you honor it, that you have the capacity to pull upon it now. So these cards, when they're upside down, they mean mm, there's a little bit more work you have to do before you can fully step into this. But this card is really no, like that you have this capacity uh, to, and, and this could be, you know, the warrior voice, you know, the, and that doesn't mean being, you know, loud and screaming. It really means like having that presence of like stand, standing, you know, for. In the eco tarot, does that resonate for you at all or? I feel that, yeah. Um, and you've spoken very beautifully and in, in depth about this card. It's very captivating. So I really love the silhouette of this one. And so I'm feeling more of, of, of the, the totality of the words you're speaking about this card. Whereas the other card, I feel like I was really just ruminating over the card itself and my feeling mm -hmm. to that. And, and, you know, of course, mm -hmm. conjunction to the larger um, water issues and privatization. But with this, so just thinking about like how standing a woman will, or, or a person with their hand on their hip, how just that gesture is very bold. And like you said, having the wor warrior uh, doesn't mean that has to be the, the voice and, you know, being loud and being seen and, you know, in that way, but standing your ground and knowing your, your presence and your oneself and ability to navigate social and your own understanding. And I do feel like I'm at a point in my life now where I'm really in feeling that for myself and really being my own individual and advocate and saying things that need to be said and having those conversations and um, yeah. Great, great, I love to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. I think the other thing that you can see in the card, which is the silhouette of the war is that she's reaching you know, for her arrow, she's reaching for her quiver. So there's an alert alertness to what comes being ready. Right. So that's a whole piece of this is like, well, what's going to unfold? We don't quite, especially at this time, we're in this time of uncertainty, but there's this alertness, right? There's a readiness, there's a, a capacity that's there. In the two other things I want to mention about this card. First one is in the Ecoturo deck. I mapped these uh, court cards onto different ecological heroines just to give people an idea. Like, what is that? What is that? Really? And so, a woman named Sandra Steingraver, and she is a pretty amazing woman. Um, she was trained as a scientist, um, as a as a chemical scientist, and her life, you know, very happily as a um, chemical scientist. And she ended up as a young person uh, coming down with, and just being like you know, going through all of what that is, realizing that like, wait, I don't have any other like, um, you know, uh, things that would point to cancer. My family doesn't have a history. I don't, you know, smoke, I don't use birth, you know, like there was nothing in our history, but 
um, the place that she lived, uh, you know, was downstream from a chemical plant. And so she ended up shifting her entire uh, scientific life to, to end up being one of the few people that's actually traced environmental pollution to cancers. It's very difficult to do that because there's so many variables, but she was able to um, create this proof, scientific proof of a connection between a cancer cluster and, uh, and which is a group of people that uh, might have cancer in a locality and this pollutant pollution um, act. And then she became herself an activist. Um, she was uh, anti-nuclear activist, um, really put her body on the line. That's partly why she's a warrior and not like the scientist is because she ended up being jailed for civil disobedience. But she is now, she's also wrote a really important book called Living Downstream. That's like the kind of book about like this whole issue of um, environmental like devastation. And especially, you know, again, uh, that affects our, our black and brown sisters and brothers. So the other thing about Sandra Steingraber that's really important right now is what she's doing is that she is a real expert on fracking. So she is a public advocate and someone who, from a scientific perspective, is the person that gives the science testimony to like Congress or if your uh, local uh, community has voted against fracking and you're going to court, she's the expert scientific testimony around this issue of fracking. She's uh, devoted herself to understanding its effects on not just the natural environment, but also the way that it affects humans and human communities. Um, so she's, again, she's like a really amazing warrior that is a warrior in her science life, in her writing, in her advocacy, in her activism um, around these issues uh, of the environment and the way that the environment and uh, health are interlinked in particular. So uh, had you ever heard of her before? I hadn't, no. Very inspiring story. Um, so... Um, this is often, this is a really nice moment in many readings where it's like there's a little pedagogical moment. So the, the cards are mapped onto different heroines, as I mentioned, and you know, all the court cards in the deck. So there's 16 of them. And anyway, so, um, so the other thing, the last thing I want to mention about this card is the directionality. That's a way that we, you know, when you have uh, the spurt, the card can sometimes tell you something by the direction that they're facing. And in this case, La Guerrera del Viento, right side up, is faced away from this um, uh, first card. Um, she's pointed in the opposite direction. And what that can mean is more, don't let this stuff get you down. Like you're, you know, like what you're doing, or don't even feel like you necessarily need to get wrapped up in fighting that. Your fight you know, what your true like alignment of purpose um, that will feed into the larger issue of supporting, like getting through this is actually pointed in a different direction. But you pointing in that different direction doesn't mean that that doesn't help you get through that. It's like, again, the anxiety that you felt around hearing about that card and what was going up, that's not going to be helpful to you as you're doing this, you know, this role. So these last cards um, the ace of air is very beautiful and the four of water. These are cards that are cards. I just want to mention them because they're cards that feed into and that can support this like warrior spirit stance for you. And so the ace of air is, and this cards, both of these cards are right side up 
is the airiest of the air cards. So that whole shift that I talked about from thinking about extractive, how we take and take and take to a process of regeneration. And so this piece, the ace of air is really important in terms of this issue of rethinking like all the systems that we're involved in, they have reciprocity at their base so that there's some understanding of not just taking or, you know, as humans or as you personally or your community, but what is being given back, you know, what is being offered. And also similarly, not just giving what's being offered to you, right? So this idea of that, the beauty of that give and take of that regenerative process, it's so critical to rethink and to understand ourselves within that system, to place ourselves within that system. And so that's something to keep in mind, to help you support you, to keep that warrior spirit going. And then this other card is very beautiful. It's the four of water. And this, the four cards, I already told you about the water cards. Um, being everything to do with water. And then the, uh, the four cards are cards about stability and tradition. And often I relate them to um, indigenous uh, knowledge as well. And these four, the four cards in this case is about the ancient aquifers, about the groundwater that is underneath us. And so in terms of fueling you know this card and especially in relationship to like all this stuff going on here and being a, a resident of Arizona uh, coming to understand what is what is where is my drinking water from where are the water for the the agriculture from how am I using that groundwater how am I just getting more in touch with and you and your communities like how do we honor and respect that groundwater and understand where it comes from, understand how it's being replenished. Um, and, you know, so there's some, there's some piece within that of the, the more connection that you have to that water source, um, the more that you'll be able to uh, step into this place. The other thing about this is also about that stability of emotions. So it's this card that is really about like also finding what grounds you Maybe water is even the thing that grounds you. Uh, so, you know, if you're feeling squirrely, you're feeling anxious that you get into some water, but having that thing that really grounds your emotions and that having that emotional stability is going to be really critical. So whenever you notice yourself getting out of, you know, balance, understanding that in order to really be truly in this space of beauty and power, that, that, um, that emotional stability is really important. So what are the things that you need to be able to support you in that? So anyway, that's a, this is a pretty cool reading, Rachel. Uh, thank you so much for, for letting me uh, read your climate future. Do you have any other thoughts about the cards or questions or things that come up when, I, when you look at them? I mean, I've, I feel like I didn't know that I needed to hear what you just read to me, but it was, it felt like a fitting read if that makes sense like you know when you're talking you know about the other you have emotional stability and with the the ace of air um yeah i really i do feel like those go um quite well hand in hand with one another thinking of the you know propellers on it and the renewable you know thinking about our climate but then also thinking about me um and my person what's going to be supportive of me moving 
into this role, you know, moving forward. And I do feel like in my life and just my personality, um, I've always been a giver. Uh, so I've learned, you know, in early adolescence and young adulthood that oftentimes people would kind of take advantage of that. And I wouldn't know how to place those boundaries and preserve myself. And, and I, I do have that reckoning and realization better now, but it is, it's something that I still have to find myself to check in with and to not just continue to give and give and give and what, who's meeting me where and what is it that I need back to replenish myself so that I'm not empty at the end of the day or work week or whatever, you know, may be. And also, so you can really like fulfill this, like, this is like card that's about like the La Guerrera del Viento is like your special power. It's like something you can really, you know, bring to things. So it's like in order for that to really be like fully activated, you know, that having that understanding of like what you need and having that be in balance. Yeah, these cards are totally about balance, you know, so, which, you know, my mom was a was a professional psychic actually, and uh, when she, she read my cards a few times, and it just didn't work, cause she'd always be like, "You need more sleep," you know, <laughs> things like that. So I mean, I know to hear like, "Oh, you need more," you know, balance. But you know, I mean, the cards, you know, they're telling you something. Not everybody say that, so yeah. Yeah, I know. I, um, I do. I do feel it, and with the. Yeah, just saying like just with the connectedness to the water, you you did speak a little bit about just in the nature of what you need sometimes might actually be literally water, you know, take a hot shower, drink a glass of water, take a breath, you know, breathe, you know, uh, are you actually hungry or do you need something? Are you nervous? You know, whatever. And just to give yourself time and space. And uh, that's something I've really been having to tell myself these days and especially where you know in my workplace I have to wear an N95 mask and face shield all the time and it physically hurts and it's not difficult to breathe of course I, I can breathe in it but um, I'm prone to letting myself get anxious and kind of claustrophobic at times so in other words I kind of build myself up into a frenzy when it's not necessarily real or needed and that's necessary it's most definitely not helping with that emotional, you know, just um, resonance and really being present. And, you know, in the beginning of this, um, you know, I told you it's going to be present and, the, and I don't think I'm not present. I think I'm a pretty present individual, but to really um, learn even more in those moments and I think that there's always something to learn and to um you know be more open to or you know am I really listening am I really there am I listening to my body and how I haven't done yoga for a week and I know that I need to and why haven't I it, it can be those simple gestures sometimes for me as of late too so yeah, I, I feel um that it was a, a good reading and uh, and helpful and, and motivational too with the the powers that be that you know I I can be and maybe am in a lot of ways already this warrior and to really let it be and, and give myself what I need in those support systems to truly let her thrive uh, yeah 
Oh, I'm so glad. And that actually is, um, it's something, it's interesting with the readings and um, I know we have to stop, but um, when I first had this idea, I was like, that is going to be very depressing. I don't want to do it, you know, and similar, you know, like this is just the two card reading, there's five card reading, there's eight card reading, you know, but, um, but the, you know, you see like, oh yeah, that first card, it brings up anxiety or it brings up, you know, sometimes people just sit and cry, you know, and, but having that second card in there so that it brings out or kind of attends to like this idea of agency it really opens up like a different space that you can walk away you know with something that you that you feel like oh there's you know there's something in myself like because everybody has some level of agency you know and influence and um hey do you rachel do you mind if i take a picture i like to take a picture of uh of the readings when i okay it's a screenshot it has you it has you in it chris You'll be in it with your headphones too. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> like to remember the um, yeah the the reading. Um, right. Yeah, no problem. I just always have to like figure out how to take it without my hands being in the way. Yeah, yeah, no problem. That was a satisfying yeah. sound, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, good. Yeah. Well. I love how you know it's like the reckoning and realization the first card of you know we still need to recognize and in whatever capacity acknowledge the very least acknowledge you know the science the facts the real you know changes that have already been happening and then okay well what can I do in my life and what how is this impacting me and then how can I take away from that and yes thank you the the wonderful. No, I'm really excited. glad I asked for a reading, and uh, hopefully it'll translate to the, you know, to the podcast. Okay, so yeah.